0: Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements, living on Dakota and Anishinaabe land, currently known as Minneapolis.
1: I am Aja Marie Brown. Um, I'm also yeah. queer. I'm a writer. <laughs> Student of miracles and love, and emergent strategist, and pleasure activist, and radical imaginarium living on Anishinaabe territory, currently known as Detroit
0: And this is how to survive
1: the end of the world. Our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. And today we continue our sibling mini series with a pair of humans who I am so floored by their existence. They're magical magical humans. We have for you today Nana and Navina Khanna. And I I think I've known them a com- combination of 87 years. So Nana and <laughs> I met a long time ago <laughs> doing electoral organizing. We were um, there at the grounding of the League of Pissed Off Voters. And um, and then Nana has gone on to found the Positive Women's Network and do all kinds of incredible organizing um, for positive women. Uh, and I've gotten to witness the growth and the stepping into a massive leadership in the world and watched her change the world. And then Navina and I got to be in all kinds of fellowship together, but particularly a very special early interdependence kind of fellowship. Um, and we've been in scholarship and study, but Navina is basically transforming the landscape of the food justice realm. And I'm like, I wonder, I wanna hear from y'all. I'm like, is that how you still roll? Cause I'm like, this is, these are just the things I know about you, but that's part of why we wanted to bring you on here. And these two are siblings. They feel like twins, um, but have have reminded me that that's not <laughs> true. Not um, actually. <laughs> that's not the case. Um, and what we want to do today with you all is and what the whole purpose of this series is, is just to talk with siblings who have both ended up in movement about what your paths were, how you got to this place, like how did it happen um, and and how do you do it well? Right. Like how you guys still love and trust and play with each other all the time um and so that's what we're going to be talking about so we'll start with some just checking in right how are you right now today either you want to start oh and while
0: our listeners adjust to your voices um If you want to just say your name as you speak, that would be really helpful so that our listeners can, like, hear the difference between your voices.
2: So I'm Navina, and I'm really glad to be here um, with you all. I think, um, in general, I will say that today is, like, a day that I'm, like, tired, and it's Friday, and I'm really glad that it's Friday, and... um, And this is Nana and I's first time actually like doing something like this together. And I just feel really excited about that. And it is such a special relationship that like we know is so special, but we don't really talk about that in other ways. So to be with two other siblings who really inspire me at least um, and be in this conversation together, um, I'm taking all my tiredness into like the cozy magic of being here together.
3: Hey, y'all. This is Nana. I use she or they pronouns. Um, I am. Yeah, we were just kind of, um, you know, a few minutes late to start this session with you all because we needed to make some more coffee. Like it's a it's kind of a gray day here. Um, It's been like a hectic couple of weeks with like a lot going on, you know, in the world. Um, A lot of like, grief and trauma, I think, in our communities and in our family with everything that's happening in India right now also. Um, So yeah, I think I'm like, you know, kind of showing up with all of that. And also the minute I kind of came on here and saw both of your faces, I was just like, ah, like I just breathed, you know, entirely through my body. And so I just feel a lot of like, Whew, space and grace to be here sharing this moment with these three amazing humans. And I'm really excited to just like dive into sibling movement ship because it is a really beautiful and deep thing. And I don't think I've ever had a chance to really talk about it.
0: Mm. I'm I feel like I'm I'm arriving similarly to y'all in the sense of the the I, I had a hectic trying to set up for this moment. Um, and then I saw your faces and was like, oh, I, I and particularly Nana, since we haven't seen each other since I was 18 years old. It was just very I just feel like I feel young again, <laughs> um, which is a really nice feeling because I feel like the last couple of weeks have been very adult weeks of my life, you know, um, I, I lost a beloved comrade um, who died very unexpectedly last week Um, and something, you know, this whole year has been awful, but that took me out in a way that hadn't, I had not been taken out by anything else yet this year. And, and this week is different. This week I feel very different. Um, the, the sun and warmth is finally happening here in Minneapolis and it's been very gloomy for a while. Um, so as the weather is changing, I feel myself sort of like a a little bit like opening like a flower (laughs) and that's the, that's the feeling. But, but it, you know, a flower that's like, I'm still kind of. Crunched down from how bad that winter was, you know. That's that's the vibe in my body right now. Um, so I'm grumpy, blooming flower, exactly, and yeah, ready to just be in some sunshine this weekend. Adrian, how are you doing?
1: Oh yes. Well, I <clears throat> I'm like oh, I mean, I I think I'm in the same state, you know, (laughs) I'm like, it's exhausting to be alive right now, but it's so beautiful. Um particularly I've been I'm just in like a major kind of health moment where I'm I'm trying to figure out like how do I really get in right relationship with my body inside of arthritis and inside of all the different allergies and food sensitivities I have and like all this all this stuff. And how is it all playing out together? right? Like, I'm like, I know (laughs) that my mostly acidic diet is inflaming the crap out of my body. I I know that here in my head, (laughs) and then that doesn't help. Um, But I'm like, you know, am I finally ready to (laughs) give up pizza? I don't know. So it's just so, I was just like, if anyone told me like, it's, you know, pizza or like total human health, in your body, I wouldn't think it would be a difficult conversation, um, but it is. So, I'm right now. I'm doing uh, like antibiotics to help remove a bacteria in my gut. So this week, my my microbiome has been like releasing itself into the world. Um, sad, <laughs> doesn't feel great. <laughs> so I'm just like staying in my house, and I feel very well loved, very well cared for. Um, And I think I'm also in the place of like, dang, teams matter. Like everything in my life that is functional, that I've gotten it. I'm like, I've gotten this together is because I I have a team there. Like I found the right team for my work. I found the right team to be my fiance. (laughs) I found the right team. You know, my friendships all feel like that. It's like we're cheering each other on to our best lives. I found the right team for my finances. And so now it's just like I'm pulling together the team for this body and it feels indulgent, it feels awkward, it feels scary, it feels strange. Um, maybe we'll come back and do another show on the body, you know, because I feel like so much I've learned so much since the last time we spoke about it. Yeah, like decolonizing the body part 2. Decolonizing the body part 2. Like there there's a big part about how do you relinquish what in what other what other people think of the body? Whatever it is. Right, because now everyone's like, "Yeah, fat is great," and I was like, "But what about what it's doing to my joints right now?" <laughs> you know, like, right. like <laughs> I love being fat, <laughs> you know, and and and. So yeah, there's some deep things afoot. That's how I am. That's how I am.
0: Well, that's a good segue. Deep things afoot is a good, always segue into nice. our next segment.
1: Petty, angry. <laughs> Gloom of rage, gloom of rage, gloom of rage, gloom
2: of rage, gloom of rage.
1: My anger is really right up front today. I feel like maybe I could start and then see. Um, I'm really angry about how the vaccine process is going in terms of the interpersonal boundary navigation stuff. And what I mean by that is I feel like once again, (laughs) this whole process keeps being like Oh, so people just have to kind of figure out themselves what safety looks like in these changing conditions. And um, what I'm noticing is that it's like, oh, people are like, oh, I got the vaccine. Um, As if it means like, no harm can come to me or from me to you or to anyone. I got the vaccine, y'all. I'm like, that's not not (laughs) what the vaccine is. (laughs) The vaccine just means when you get sick, you will not have as bad a time. Right. But it's, you know, so trying to figure out how we navigate those things where I'm like, is the vaccine card something everyone should carry around? How do we navigate it as pods of people, you know, who've been in conditions with each other? And I'm like, in my dream, someone would be making this super, super clear. Now, the CDC guidelines are pretty great, you know. So the thing I want to offer to everyone here as a if you haven't gotten to this place of rage yet and had to navigate this stuff with others is to sit down and read the CDC guidelines together with your pod or your crew or whoever else and figure out like, how are we going to roll safely through this?
3: I, I guess I'm, I'm feeling a lot of just like rage and heartbreak and despair and devastation over everything that is happening in India right now. And, you know, it's so complicated, like the reasons that it's happening, and it is, yeah, it is the package of like white supremacy and imperialism and intellectual property, but it's also like Hindu nationalist fascism that has like participated in getting us here, and you know, the U.S. and other countries hoarding vaccines and um, Islamophobia and so many different things that are sort of playing out to make this perfect storm that is just like absolutely devastating and. Um, And Nana, can
1: you say just in a nutshell, what is happening for folks who are like not following or not tuned in?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. The COVID pandemic in India is really out of control. Um, There was a time several months ago where India was kind of like, we have a handle on this. Um, We're not being hit that hard. We can relax restrictions and all of this. And then, um, you know, another surge happened. The pandemic. Healthcare system is very unprepared. There are all these new variants, some of which are extremely deadly. There's no vaccine access. Um, although India actually makes a lot of vaccines um, and and other treatments for the whole world, it exports most of them and doesn't have access to a lot of them. And um, the U.S. and several other countries have been holding on to these intellectual property rights around um how the vaccines are even developed so that, um, you know, like generic alternatives can't be developed and also like hoarding, literally hoarding vaccines. Um, rich countries are hoarding vaccines for for their people. And so that's impacting the global South in really devastating ways. And so what we're seeing in India is, um, you know, like hundreds of millions of cases, um, severe underreporting of cases, like massive death that is also being underreported. And we're, we're here now with our parents, which has been really beautiful to be together in the same space, sharing some space right now, now that we're all vaccinated and able to kind of like pod safely. Like we just got up here on Sunday and um, we're all sharing space, but also in the process of that, we're hearing
1: here in India.
3: We're sorry. We're in, we're up in like Western Washington right now um western washington state okay on, like, on a what? beach <laughs> yeah <laughs> no that would be amazing too um but but our parents are you know regularly talking to our family members in india and like pretty much every day it's like here's a few more people in our extended family who have passed away um there are more than a hundred cases in the building where my parents have an apartment in Delhi right now, there's more than a hundred active cases of COVID, you know, and the people who are um, and all of this is being very underreported in terms of the numbers that are actually coming out. And then for folks who are, living in poverty and low income, you know, their deaths are never even being recorded and those cases are never even being recorded. So it's like also this invisible, like very classist approach. And then there are people, there's an oxygen shortage. There's a ventilator shortage. Of course, the folks who are getting oxygen and ventilators are like the very rich elite. And um, we have a severe, um, a severe like gap in privilege and access in India that is like, probably one of the most extreme gaps like that in the world where there are people with a whole lot of money and access and then millions of people who don't have any. So yeah, it's just, it's all really um, very sad and then the government is, um, political leaders are basically lying about what is happening and engaging in some kind of like magical thinking about, um, about what it takes to move out of a global pandemic just to like add to that they're doing like really ridiculous
2: things like saying like if you vote us into office then you'll get access to the vaccine and things like that so really putting people in like this complete bind (gasps) it's just like really extreme horrible horrible shit and everything that nana just said is like wow a lot of what i'm holding to and the rage that i'm feeling beyond what's actually happening in india right now is people here in the u.s just being like pandemic is over like the word pandemic means that it is global, right? It is not over by any means. Yep. It is literally global. And there are 1.3 billion people in India. Literally and India it's them like Dying rapidly right now. But that is, that's a fifth of the world population right now that you're talking yes. about, right? And India is making the news because of the number of people that are there and how yes. extreme conditions are right, right now there. But that's the case for so much of the global South, right? We know that it's like 98% yeah. of vaccines, Um
1: exactly have
2: been distributed in high income countries right in the global north and um it's just such a like yes like that yeah. you know we had all these moments of thinking that covid was going to be this thing that like made us realize we're all part of one global community and all this shit and as soon as folks don't have to deal with it themselves they're just like oh it's gone the problem's gone Yes, yeah. we're here that kind of like ignorance and insular thinking and selfishness is yeah. really enraging yeah.
3: Yeah, agreed. And like yeah, I was just in conversation with my staff about this earlier today cuz they're like, "Well, what can what can we do?" Um and I'm like, "Well, you know, there's it's really complicated. Like <laughs> there are some things we can do like, you know, advocacy around this intellectual property issue and vaccine equity and things like that, but also we just need to be talking to folks about taking the vaccine cuz um There are lots of very valid reasons that people distrust the vaccine and, you know, are hesitant about taking the vaccine. But like being in the U.S. is we have a privilege. We have this privilege to make a choice (laughs) about whether we take this vaccine or not. And most of the world doesn't even have the privilege to make that choice. And viruses do not stop at borders. So this is part of understanding that we are we are in a global community. We are interdependent. And our, yeah, our fates are interlinked and like being part of just like being a responsible global citizen, understanding like dismantling American exceptionalism and imperialism is like participating in keeping other people safe to the extent that we can.
2: I just want to put a plug in here since you're asking about like, you know, what folks can do, Um, the the U.S. government as of this morning delivered like, you know 400 tanks of oxygen and um, there's been some motion on that front, but there's many, many governments all over the world that could be doing more, including the U.S. government, but many governments that could be doing more. And so, um, you know, folks are trying to organize action to get some of those other wealthy countries, the EU and other places to do similar things, including vaccines that are not being used, PPE, oxygen, etc. to there.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I also just love that Y'all are such organizers that you, like, barely, like, pause between the, like, this is making me angry and, like, here's how you can take action. Um, (laughs) It's so beautiful. It's very beautiful. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think of how to round out the flume here. um, Because I think that the... I I think that the thing that I keep finding myself feeling... um, angry about is um, like learned helplessness or learned powerlessness and um, or the, the sort of like narrow space between uh, what is actually apathy and what is maybe expressed as powerlessness <laughs> um, or like I, I think sometimes like maybe even inside of ourselves we don't always know like it's a maybe a porous boundary between those two things Um, but it feels very connected to what you're describing um, in terms of the that um, Navina what you were like naming about people really perceiving that the crisis is now happening somewhere else instead of recognizing that like as long as any part of our this beautiful organism that we are lucky enough to call home as long as any part of that organism is suffering from this virus like we all have responsibility in that but there is such a i don't know it's what i we were having a, a family check in that we have family check in every um every week with our other sister and our parents. I know it's cute. Um like every Sunday for an hour and a half we like hop on a zoom and talk to each other and um our other sister lives in a different country and she was talking about how in that other country I, I was I was talking about um um like navigating the ages that my children are at now and their desire for a greater level of freedom to kind of move through the neighborhood without necessarily being supervised by an adult. And our sister was talking about how like in the community that she lives in, there's just a real sense of a social contract. And so children at a very young age are are moved through the community with a high level of independence because there's a sense that everyone's paying attention and um, caring for each other's children. And and that's just not the way it feels here where I live. <laughs> and I, don't, I can't think of a place that I have lived in the U.S., rural or urban, where I have felt that sense that, like, it's cool for my kids to just, like, you know um, – move through space and trust that other people will be paying attention and helping to ensure their safety. And, and to me there's, there's a direct connection between that, that sense that I have that it's that the world is not as safe as I would like it to be for my children. And this apathy that people have <laughs> because it's, it's all that same, that, ugh, that individualism that is just so rampant in our society exactly. is just this. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and it's just made worse by the internet basically. So (laughs) anyway, um, so it's, I, I don't have, you know, some weeks I come into recording and I have like a really particular thing that I'm angry about, but I think, um, in the last, yeah, in the last couple of weeks, the thing that I feel like I keep, um, I keep kind of like poking my head up and being like, oh yeah, people are still not caring
1: in the way that they should. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think that that's that's demoralizing. Yeah, no, I think that's it. And like, I really appreciate the way this all ties together because so much of it is like, if you have the vaccine, you still have to think about other people. And if you don't have the vaccine, like maybe this is a time to think more, you know, about other people, like how, like not just about your own political decision, which is totally valid, but to really think like, how am I a part of this whole? And then- in the citizen body, right? How am I connected to as a global citizen rather than as as a U.S. citizen, which I'm like, the U.S. is a hot mess. And we're a hot mess with this access. Like we have this access and then that apathy flooding through all of it. It's just sort of like, I know we're tired. I also really want to name like I'm part of being able to access more anger is because I'm so fucking tired of being, in this situation. And each day it's getting worse instead of better. Um, and so it's exhausting. It's like how, you know, releasing the rage. I do appreciate the organizer bodies in, in every, in everybody that are like, and here's what we do. We harness that rage and we turn it into action. And this is why part of the reason we really wanted to talk with the two of you because you're ferocious as organizers, like you're, you're ferocious in terms of how you speak truth. Um, And how you weave yourselves in to movement. So where we're going to spend the rest of our time is asking you everything we can about y'all. And, you know, one of the things, our first question for the siblings is usually, where are y'all from? And so we know you're connected with India. We know that you are somewhere in Washington right now. But like, where would you say y'all are from?
2: That's a fun question. Um, And I think y'all probably have a similar experience to us, right? That you grew up moving around a lot. Um, Nana, I don't want to speak for you, but I'll just like say a little bit that we both make our home right now in Oakland, occupied Ohlone territory. Um, And we've both been living there for Mm -hmm. 15, 16 years. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's home. Like, yeah, that's home. Um, And the journey Wow, the journey Great. that we've taken, like in this human form, <laughs> started in upstate New York. Um, we moved to India. Nana, Nana, and I. So you mentioned us as twins in the beginning. We're not actually twins, but we were born exactly three years apart. It makes you feel like we're twins. Um, <laughs> yes. No, I say that everyone thinks you are, and I thought you
1: were, but and now we know. Wait, wait, wait. When you say exactly three
0: years, do you mean like you have the same birthday? It's one day apart, apart. but it was like a leap year. So
3: it might
2: as well have been the same day. We
0: have
3: two spirits.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's
0: incredible. Yeah
2: and we sometimes say that they just like froze my fetus for three years
1: yeah they were just like let's just hold on to you but and autumn just so you know nana has we're gonna need another one one. this one's amazing can we have another let's hold the second one for like when we're ready but also i just need autumn i need you to know that nana has april's birthday our our sister's birthday is also nana's birthday yeah so, oh my God! God. I <laughs> love that. <laughs> Wait for the day—the actual day, the date. Oh um, my God! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, that's special. fucking beautiful. So it's just woo. <laughs> okay. All right, so we're, <laughs> so we're actually all We've
0: siblings all together. So we're literally all siblings. <laughs> that's how <laughs> we
1: knew.
3: So yeah, we lived. We we're born in upstate New York. We moved around a bunch. We lived in Tennessee for a year. Um, we lived in India for <laughs> a number of years, both of us um, in like middle school, high school timeframe. And, uh, and then we came back to the U S kind of at different times. And I mean, actually lived a couple other places too along the way. And um, yeah, so I think that we're, I mean, I would say, I feel very grounded in Oakland and very committed to Oakland and have since I got there. And at the same time, I personally always um, have also felt like uh, I'm not home anywhere and I'm not, not at home anywhere in a way too. Um, I think just from that experience of like moving around um, at a young age and like moving between cultures and never quite feeling like any like, like, I was really part of any one culture, actually.
0: That's so real. Yeah. I, I think Adrian and I can both really identify with that, that feeling. Um, yep. Can y'all share a little bit about your family structure? Like, are there other siblings in the mix? Like, did you grow up surrounded by – I mean, I it sounds like maybe – a little bit of both, like the experience of not being around a lot of family and then also being around a lot of family.
2: Just would love to hear more about that too. Yeah. Um, I have been thinking about this a little bit recently of like something that's really important to me In as I think about what do I want my future to look like? So much of that is around being able to be in community with people. And I think a big part of that is actually shaped by the fact that our nuclear family was here. In the U.S., but ten thousand miles away from the rest yeah. of our extended family, so there was so much of a like, we are who we have, especially in upstate New York for a while, right? We're, like it was like we are who we have. Um, and Of course, yes. that's made us thankfully, you know, incredibly close to each other. And Nana's like, yeah, Nana's my person for life. Um, but uh, but we definitely grew up like the the first several years, just the four of us. And um, we're two siblings, we have two parents who have been together for now 47 years, uh, which is incredible. Wow. Um, But almost all of our other family is in India. So like cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody is there. Yeah. Oh, and um, Sheba, I cannot neglect Sheba is also part of our family structure. Um, the, The newest member of our family is a husky who's been with us for about 16 months.
3: One other thing I would just add about the way we grew up that I think is kind of important is that we both went to boarding school. And um, at least for me, that's like a really important part of my experience because it also, um, I think, like at a pretty young age, created a way of thinking about family and community more broadly, Um, you know, like, like literally, you know, coexisting and living with a bunch of other people in a dorm, like for probably like nine months of the year um, that's what my life looked like. And so, um, and then we subsequently like lived in community a bunch of times together and separately and, um, like family formation. We, we do have a very like tight knit, close, small nuclear family, but, um, like chosen family has also been a big part of my life from like a pretty young age.
1: I love that. Thank you. Um, that makes so much sense given my experiences of y'all. I'm like, how is it so easy for you to be around people like this? Um, so I have a a question for y'all, which is how would you describe the political orientation or orientations of your family?
3: I think that, um, I think that like, you know, politics are all about personal values. And I feel like the, whether we were, actively talking about politics or not, my parents were always really strong and clear about the values that sort of like guided our household and how we were with each other, how we were with other people. You know, I remember even little things like um, one time we were on a family road trip when I was pretty small. And I remember I like ate a banana in the back of the car and threw the peel out the window. And my parents were just like, oh, no. Like they stopped the car and made me go back and pick up that banana peel. And, you know, they're not like, like at that time, you know, in the eighties, I don't know what they would have been like, we're environmentalists or something, but they were just like, this is the way you're going to be in the world. Like, you're going to like, you know, you're going to take care of like the places around you, the people around you. Um, you're going to be like, kind, you're not going to like hoard things you're going to share, like, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I feel like that is, um, a big part of like what has like the way that politics showed up in our family. Also, our dad back in the day was like, he was a like a pretty radical like communist. And he was like, I'm not having kids, zero population growth way back in the day before we came along. Um, you know, my parents had an arranged marriage, um, but yeah, my parents had an arranged marriage, but my dad um, said he wouldn't take a dowry for, um for my mom which was a pretty like radical intervention back in the 70s for uh you know a man in India and so um i just feel like there are lots of different ways in which like values around the way to be in the world have showed up in our family forever and then there's also been this kind of um i would say like a a way that we 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 have also like helped move our parents kind of left in in various ways too, and like sharpen yeah. their analysis.
2: Maybe before Nana goes further into the sharpening analysis, yeah. I just want to share a couple more like nuggets like that, that I feel like really shaped, shaped me and probably shaped, probably shaped both of us. Like um, the banana pills. the so one example, I remember another time that we were just like on a family walk through the neighborhood or maybe like watched the local ice cream store or something like that. And Nana actually found like a $20 bill on the ground and our parents were like, "Well, you have a roof over your head. You have enough food. Like, you're good. This is extra. So, like, decide who you're going to donate that to." And it was like you had to, you know, make a decision because it was more than what you need. And I feel like that kind of ethos of like, we don't need more than what we have, It's kind of just like what our parents held. I also remember an instance of like when we had moved to India. So I was nine when we moved to India. It was a very like adolescent, like shaping of the world time for me. Um, I remember sitting in the car. And we were, for anyone who's been to India, this is a very common sight but you like, you know, see people walking around carrying like huge bags of things or like, you know, hundreds of pounds worth of things. And I remember sitting next to my dad and he was like, that person's working so much harder than I ever work. And just, just in that moment at like age nine or 10, him pointing out like, yeah, I work in an office right now and we're doing really, really well. And why is my labor worth more than this other person's, you know, just like, just like little nuggets like that, that are just like, Oh yeah, this is how to understand who we are in the world and what it means to um, have enough, hold whatever privileges we do have. And I think, I think for everybody, I think for everybody in our family, this is true, but I, I think Nana and I, especially just hold this feeling of like whatever privilege we have also comes with responsibility. And um, the work that we're always trying to do in the ways that we organize, even trying to you know, shape U.S. policy and thinking about that in a global context is is part of that same um, set of values and orientation. There's words in other languages for it. Like in Hawaiian, they say kuleana, and apparently there's a word in Vietnamese and a few other cultures that, that mean responsibility and privilege simultaneously. And I, I feel like that's a political orientation.
0: <laughs> I mean...
2: It's a really good
0: it's it's good, though. It's like a good transition for us to the next question that we wanted to ask you, which was about um, how you as individuals got politicized. Um, And it's always interesting to hear these stories in relationship to um, when folks have at least one or both parents who had radical politics at some point. (laughs) um it's like how do you situate your own what is your own journey around your politicization that might be different from your parents um but we would just love to hear like how y'all got politicized and particularly thinking about as siblings who are relatively close in age you know three years apart whether you think of your process of politicization as being distinct from one another or whether it's something that really was shared
2: I mean, they're probably interrelated and we'd probably hear some similar stories from each other. I think I think some of the things that we've already named are part of that process, right? As um, teenagers, especially, you know, really just starting to understand global disparity and um, having a lot of questions about injustice in the world and things like that. I think um, for me, there were a couple of other key points, one of which Nana was a very significant part of, um, one of which was separate. But um, for me, a lot of my work has been around food and agriculture for a very long time. And there was a point as a teenager where I had an experience going on a field trip with an ecology teacher where we just had a lot of conversations about humans' relationship with the planet and how agriculture was the first time that we started colonizing this planet in other ways and like just thinking about systems of oppression connected to that and starting to understand capitalism and all of it through the lens of how we relate to land and food was, was really opening for me. Um, But, uh, and Nana, you probably have a different version of this story too, but Nana and I were both in India together again in my early twenties when um, the U S invaded Iraq. And that was a pretty, pretty significant moment. So for me, a few months earlier, I had been at the um, the UN Climate Change Convention had happened in Delhi, and just like really hearing from like farmers and indigenous folks and other people in the public forum about US global emissions and what the US was doing in the world. And then a few months later, the US invaded Iraq, and Nana and I like found each other. We like we were in different parts of India each traveling, and we were like, We need to be together right now. And I went to the place where Nana was, and we were just like, Yeah, we were um, in like, we Dharamsala, yeah, we were Dharamsala. Um, which is where His Holiness the Dalai Lama lives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
3: which was. We were sitting in this little like, noodle shop, like the little Tibetan noodle and tea shop, like because it, it had a little TV, and we were eating like noodle soup, and we were watching the news, and we were watching them start to bomb. And this was. 2003 Mm -hmm. um and that was basically the moment where we started to talk about going back to the u.s Mm -hmm. to work on the election which is like how i landed with you adrian um at the yeah yeah, with the league and everything wow that that part of that story
2: yeah
3: we were like we need to we, we have responsibility as like you know u.s citizens to go home and like work on changing this regime yeah. that was terrorizing the world.
2: And we started like printing up stickers and making little scenes and they, before we even knew what scenes were, I think. Right. Just like figuring out like, okay, what are the ways that we're going to start door knocking all of the things when we go back to the U S and um, yeah, very shortly after was election season.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, the, you know, when we were younger, like when we were teenagers, we were, not living in the same house or under the same roof because we were in boarding school. And so um, things were a little bit different. Like, so I would say that there was some separate process of politicization, politicization that was like happening around that time. Um, but definitely like Navina's commitment to like the environment and agricultural issues definitely influenced me also. Like I learned a lot from the stuff that she was doing and learning and, um, examining. And she was in like practice and study and like traveling to like learn about permaculture and about like indigenous ways of relating to land and things like that. And I learned a lot from, you know, just like her sharing what she was doing. Um, also, um, I would say that like my own process of politicization was, um, Also a couple of other things, like when I was in ninth grade um, in my social studies class, we were studying the Middle East and I had this amazing, um, amazing teacher who was, um, yeah, he was just like a, he was this like German guy who was like teaching us Middle East, um, Middle East, like geography and politics. And this was 1991. And one day we, he, he was the kind of guy who like a pop quiz, you'd walk into class one day and he'd be like, draw me a map of present day Palestine. And if you, you know, like if you drew anything, you would basically fail the quiz. Um, And he was like, because it is all, you know, occupied and has been taken over. Um, So while I was in that class, yeah, while I was in that class, one day I came in (laughs) and he was like really animated. He was like, you know, red in the face and like moving his arms around and everything. And he was like, Iraq has invaded Kuwait. And um, so we just started studying that. Basically, we started studying the Middle East conflict and I was like 13 years old. And he was like, why do you think the U.S. is deploying troops um, to to this area? And, you know, he really like helped me understand at that age that like this was not some sort of benign intervention. (laughs) Like there was oil there and there was a reason that the U.S. was very interested in this Region of the world and this conflict, and so, um, and he would, you know, make us go and read the news and see what was being covered in the news and see what was different between different uh, newspapers in our library in the way that they were talking about the conflict. And so, um, yes, I really learned a lot in that process about just like understanding the, um, you know, um, the the role of the United States in the rest of the world. Um, it was also at a time where. We had moved to India relatively recently, and um, I think we were both like really grappling to understand what we were seeing. Like, why, you know, just trying to understand at this young age, like, why is there this huge inequity? Why is there so much poverty? Why are there people with so much money and so much food and people who are starving, like, right next to each other? Like, why is this even possible? and at that time, also in India, it was a, it was kind of an amazing time because India had shut down its um, markets to um, multinational corporations. They were not allowing any multinational corporations in, so there was no Coke, there was no Pepsi, there was no, you know, everything had to be India made um, that was sold there for a few years. They closed their markets, and so we were also there when the markets reopened, and it changed a lot of things culturally um, when the markets reopened.
2: It was like seeing the WTO and all of that in action. Uh, By the time we left, we saw like the whole everything shift. And now every time we go back, you know, we're seeing that.
1: Yeah. Wow. The next question I have for y'all is what feels aligned about the work you're currently doing in the world? And are there things that feel distinct in those pieces of work or really different inside those pieces of work, whether it be the way things are structured, the way you move, or even at the level of beliefs that are held by those institutions?
3: Yeah. I mean, I feel like at the core, our, um, you know, our beliefs and values are the same. Like that is actually never a question that I hold. Um, It's why Navina is like the first person that I reach out to when anything happens. Like, whether it's like news or like a major development on like work that we're doing or things like that. Like Navina's is always the one <laughs> um, who I like, yeah, you know, I'm like here, like this, <laughs> this thing, um, because I know that she will understand and I know that she'll understand how I feel about it. I don't have to like explain um, like, and you know, when we're like, we, we do organize together. Um, we don't, like our organizations are very different. The movements that we work in are very different, but our approaches are the same. And then we do organize together on other stuff outside of our jobs. Um, We organize, you know, in our local community, we both have thrown down with like Asians for Black Lives and other things. We both have supported mutual aid efforts. Um, We do a lot of electoral work together. Like every election cycle, we work together on stuff. And that's just like, you know, like I know that I can trust her 100% as like as a thought partner, as a brilliant organizer, as a strategist and to get shit done. And so, um, yeah, I think that there are it's it's both. Um, And we we both are like, you know, youngish brown woman ED is moving in spaces that are working to dismantle patriarchy and white supremacy. And so we share a lot of the same like struggles and challenges and also joys. Um even when the actual work looks different, but there's a lot that doesn't have to be explained for us to like thought partner around stuff.
0: Right. I was just going to say it's so it is so interesting to me that you're both executive directors of nonprofit movement building organizations. Like, I can only imagine the nature of the conversations that you have.
3: <laughs> yeah. Like, like ultimately we have the same vision for the world. Yeah. What she says. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And well, and inside of that, like, I am curious, given how aligned the work is, like, how did you end up in different fields?
2: Yeah, well and and not just um not just EDs of I mean both of national organizations or alliances membership based, but also I think what Nana said around being like South Asian FEM folks, like navigating spaces that, you know, both HIV and AIDS being predominantly, despite who it impacts, right? The like resources and dominant conversations being mostly white men similar with sustainable agriculture, right? That um, mostly white men and both of us working to try to build a more um, robust and powerful BIPOC movement that can be, you know, the center and leading that conversation. Um, But, uh, you know, also figuring out as individuals, how do, how do we navigate those spaces? um, Not being black or indigenous, you know, um, or Latinx uh, folks in this, in the US navigating that and um yeah just what that what that means what that looks like and how it's everything from conversations around like how do I figure out this thing on my budget to <laughs> to um how do I navigate this like coalition conversation that I'm in to you know it just it can go anywhere.
3: We we had a whole plan from a young age. No I'm just kidding <laughs> I... <laughs> i think it's you know i think it's a combination of just like personal like lived experience and um and where our, our passions and analysis were but i think like basically any issue that you look at like is plagued with like racism and anti-blackness and white supremacy and colonialism. And like the analysis is the same, right? Like the systems are the same, the systems that are like oppressing our people are the same, but also the places of like abundance and regeneration, resilience and transformation. Those are also very similar. Like ultimately, like I work in HIV. I came to HIV as a woman who was diagnosed with HIV. Um, and recognizing that like a lot of these systems were, you know, impacting, um, the way that inequity was playing out and that justice was not being, um, like, you know, adequately realized. And so, um, but it, it could have been a different issue. And, and even though I work on HIV, I know that like gardens are like life. And even though I work on HIV specifically, I know that like our agricultural system needs to be more equitable and that like food workers need to be treated right and farm workers need to be treated right. And I know that that's like, that's integral to the liberation of all the folks that I work with too, because there's actually no disconnect between these issues. It's just like a different point of entry into the same vision. Yeah, I don't need to add
2: to that. Um, Well, maybe just, you know, just the other side of that, (laughs) that, um, like, ultimately, what we're both, you know, in the fight for and in the work for is our people, our communities being able to be in right relationship with ourselves, with each other, with the land, to... Have autonomy and self-determination to be able to be in communities that are thriving um and whether that's because you're impacted directly by one particular virus and all the systems that are around that or it's like nana said like any any other issue that is like directly about the oppression of us being able to be in that kind of liberation together. Um, it doesn't actually really matter so much what the issue is. And if we do, if we do like want to draw out from an issue to an issue, we can also, you know, just say that a huge percentage of people who are most food insecure or lacking as nutrition are women of color living with HIV. Right. Right. Um, right. There's, there's so many places where you could draw like that exact point, but, but that's right. not the point. Right. Right. The point is that we're in this part.
1: Well, no. And I mean, I think the thing that's interesting to me is like, Autumn and I have this experience of, I think, having a very, very, very close analysis to each other. And actually, I think Mm. kind of trying to strike out in different directions, and then continuously being like, wait, you're doing that too? Like, and, (laughs) and being like, we're both facilitators. Holy shit. You know, we're both doing radical imagination work, or whatever. So I think that was my curiosity, right? It's like, I understand the overarching ties together, but then it is like, oh, and then there's some personal flame that gets sparked inside of you or a personal experience that that then is like, this is what made the distinct paths, you know? So I I love what y'all are sharing about that. And I'd love to hear it for you. Like what made food your issue? (laughs)
2: Well, well, I, I just, I just feel like this, this conversation is such a um, great example of that, right? I'm like, oh, well, Nana already said the thing. I don't need to do Exactly. (laughs) It's like that's what happens too. Um, Yeah. um, I think, I think I already told the story about how I first came to food and agriculture as a thing, and that's, you know, I, I understand, I understand food and the ways that we grow our food, the ways that we relate to it whether we are procuring it or producing it or accessing it in whatever ways, um, like that really to be the most intimate connection that we have with like all the rest of systems. Um, so I,
1: and you also founded Heal, right?
2: Yeah. With, with other folks, not just me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a collection. we co-founded it together. I had no intention of ever being an ED, um, Yes, no one tells
1: us this when we're little
2: that this is going to happen to us. Um. I mean, even (laughs) like seven years ago, (laughs) I had no intention of being
0: anything. I feel like, I I feel like the, yeah, the best EDs are the ones who have no intention of being EDs. That's my, my assessment. (laughs) I, I want to ask one more tender question before we, um, before we land with our final Top Culture segment. Um, And this last tender question is, what do you want people to understand about your sibling? Oh, my God, the sweetness of the way you're looking at each other is unreal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So y'all can't all see my sibling right now, but she is super fly. Um, she is absolutely brilliant. She is super strategic. She is number one, the person that if you have any kind of problem or um, like a serious crisis, like if if you need one person to be able to figure shit out, like the like get-you-out-of-anything person. Nana is that person. Um, I think people know her as, like, this fierce person who can do anything. I think the parts that maybe people don't know about her is how, like, um, absolutely, like, curious and joyful and playful and, um, like, what a brilliant... What was the word he used? Imaginarian uh, what, a, <laughs> ma- yeah, what a brilliant imaginary <laughs> Nana is. Who can like, um, yeah, like a a walk through the forest or on the beach or um, like playing anywhere is just so much more fun <laughs> with Nana. Mm-hmm. Um, she she really uh, sees and experiences and embraces the magic of the world. Aww. Swoon! She makes the magic. <laughs>
0: Wow, Nana makes
3: the world go round. Oh my goodness! Um, wow. Some things to know about Navina. <laughs> I think the word that comes to me for Navina is home. Um, she is home. She creates home for so many people. She creates community. Like part of what Navina does is like I don't know how she like finds the time to do all the things, but like she's doing like a million things. And then also she's like hosting a dinner for like, <laughs> you know, anybody who's in town and anybody who's coming by because it's all about like the, you know, the food connection and building community. And Navina's like this amazing caretaker. Mm-hmm. Um, she sees, she has this like ability to see what people need And to, like, check in with them one-on-one or just, like, address their need and be, like, hey, you know, there could be, like, she could be, like, facilitating a whole group, but she's the person who knows, like, this person is sad right now and um, needs some attention. This person needs a walk. This person (laughs) needs, like food with no gluten. Like she sees (laughs) all of those things happening at the same time and can somehow hold them and solve all the problems for like every individual person. And she's also, um, she's also a person who like instinctively knows what people are capable of. And I think that's like one of her most like beautiful qualities because like Navina has this ability to like call everybody to be part of Um, part of the solution, whatever it is. That's why she's like a magical organizer. Cause literally Navina can be like, oh, this person's just like hanging out, you know, waiting to come into this event. Hey, why don't you go like help set up these chairs real quick? Um, Hey, what do you think about like greeting people as they come in? Like she has a job for every single person. And it, um, Ah. uh, what I see is that it like makes people understand that they have something to offer. Um, even when they didn't know, or didn't know that they were coming to offer something in that moment, she's like, Oh, can you go like help this person carry this? Um, can you like, can you just like cuddle this dog for a little bit? Um, while I go move these things, like she has a job for everyone and it's, she does it in our family. She does it with friends. She does it like, you know, when we're doing anything and it's, it's such an amazing quality. Cause it's like, um, it's like she has this, like, intuition about what everybody is capable of. She believes in everybody's ability oh. to make the world a better place.
1: Oh, wow.
3: Mm. Oh I so love God. and appreciate that about you.
1: <laughs> Y'all are so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so dreamy. Um Oh, well, my face is like in that place of hurting from smiling. So I know that this was a really good decision to just get this brilliance all in one place. And one of the things we've been doing, um, you know, kind of as the counterbalance for all the feels is like just talking about what is the pop cultural stuff that's making us survive, helping us survive, helping us through, making us laugh or experience joy or contemplation, you know, whatever it may be. It does not in any way have to be current. Um Autumn's is usually about five years old and mm-hmm. mine is usually like this just happened today, you know, and we do the full spectrum. We've had one guest who was talking about texts that were like um centuries old. So whatever it is for you that's like this is what's moving me right now, um, that'll do. And Autumn, why don't we start with you? Because you have a clear one. You really know what you want to talk about this time.
0: I do. I do. And then
1: we'll come around yes. to the to the non twins. Right.
0: (laughs) Yes, I do have something very specific and current unexpectedly. I feel like the last couple of times we've talked, my top culture thing has been current, like recent, right now. And that is – I'm impressed. Is really not typical for me. But there is this comedian on Instagram named Vinny Thomas
2: who – you know who I'm talking
0: about (laughs) –
2: I was going to say the same
1: thing. Okay, great. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe y'all can talk about different skits because Vinny deserves all the love. (laughs) I'll say
0: I've been, like, just consuming everything that Vinny does. But so for people who haven't seen Vinny Thomas... This is a is an Instagram comedian who does these like one minute to one minute and a half long monologues into the camera where he's like creating characters inside of situations that are current. But but they're very unexpected characters. So like one of the monologues he did recently was like a diversity consultant for the royal family trying to give an equity training. And so he's like trying to. And, and and then but the monologue is like him reacting to what the royal family is doing in the space. <laughs> um, there's been a lot. There's been a number of them recently. There was one where he did like, I am the man who destroyed this buried the city of Luxor by calling on the demons. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Navina, I would love to know, like, if you have a fave that you want to uplift so we can just send people to this person's Instagram page and so they can get their life together.
2: Yeah, just go get your joy and life from watching (laughs) Vinny. And um, my favorite recent one was like visiting from outer space, like some years later, and coming to visit the Galactic Federation. Yeah, the Galactic Federation, and just being (laughs) as makes sense. Completely disappointed in (laughs) humanity on planet Earth.
3: You're still here, Jason. The humans are still here. Did you have trouble finding your way off the ship? It's just, it's just one long hallway. Okay. No, I'm, I'm sure it's happened before. I mean, I've never, personally, I don't know of anyone else who's gotten lost. You know what? We're going to get this taken care of. Give me one second. Well, I definitely think everybody needs to listen to this amazing podcast. It's called How to Survive the End of the World.
1: And-
3: <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it literally yeah. gives me life and gets me through everything. That's the um, top culture for, well, for me oh, and really? as well as Octavia's parables. Yes. Um,
1: oh, swoon, twin stars. Yes,
3: it's so good. Like literally. Um, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It is such. It is such a like an honor to be on here. It's so like beautiful to be here with both of you. Um, and the gift that you all are bringing to the world is just like, whoo, so much. So much. Um, but one other one other thing I wanna add is um I always have a very deep love for Stevie Wonder. I think you probably know this about me. Um, but oh yes in the last like yes. couple of weeks with everything that's been going on, I've just been like very much reconnecting to Stevie and his music and his words. And I made a whole playlist for a drive up here that's just like all Stevie all night and um, it is really getting me through a lot of moments. It feels like like Stevie has lyrics for every moment, every feeling Everything. like Everything. The, the whole universe. Like I feel like my heart just expands when I listen to him, um, in ways and like I can dream and imagine possibilities, um, and like love in so many different ways when I, when I'm with him. So yeah, for Steve Landmorris, Morris, his birthday's coming up too. Um, Happy birthday, Stevie. You are the best. You are wonderful. Hmm. I love that. Yeah.
1: I love that. I wonder if like every birthday is just Everyone he knows calling him, being like, happy birthday, (laughs) like
2: more than usual for the rest of us. Um,
1: Navina, did you want to add anything else?
2: No, literally, that was what I was gonna share. Wow. So oh, I, that, that. I, I also that's never amazing. have a, and I first saw the pop culture question, I was like, I don't know any pop culture. Um and <laughs> yeah. I like, oh, actually do know I'll one. be working. And then yeah, we're you're <laughs> current. We're here. We got it, on him.
1: You're here. Y'all
2: made it. <laughs> I'm
1: so excited. Um, so my top culture thing is I've been reading more books, like reading more like start to finish, read a whole ass book book experience. And I I literally I think I would say I count it as a measure of my health um, right now that I'm like, when I'm not in a good place, uh, when I'm stretched too far or doing too much, I can't read whole books. And I find myself, I'm like, oh, I can do maybe a short story or I just have to listen to stuff or I'm just scrolling. Um, And so I was like, I've been redistributing my time from social media to books. And so I'm like, I'm down to about 15, 20 minutes total on social media for a day but then that time has been redistributed because I still like to read. And so I, I wanted to name a few books that I've read recently. I read a fantastical series um, from uh, Mara Rutherford, who is a friend of someone I love dearly. And the book is called The Crown of Coral, Coral and Pearl is the first one. And then the second one is The Kingdom of Sea and Stone. I think that's the right names. Um, and it's... they're just magical stories that happen in like a a world of like pure water where everyone's like basically a mermaid um, and then they have to go on land and then there's an evil prince, but there's a transformative justice component because they're like, how can we still be empathetic about the childhood that this person had? Um, There's all kinds of beautiful stuff going on. And there's a huge critique of beauty and centering beauty inside of it. Um, So that I really want to recommend to people. And then still in the fiction realm, I just today finished the book, The Vanishing Half by Brit Brit Bennett. It's exquisite. It's about these two twins. I guess there are always two. It's about these twins who are very light-skinned Black women who are born in a town that is dedicated to keeping only light-skinned Black people in it and what ensues as they go along their different paths to get out of that town, get out of that mindset or not or go further. Into whiteness, and um, it's astonishing. It's so astonishing that I keep, I keep telling you, I'm like, I don't even want to tell you the plot because I want you to feel how it unve- like it unveils. It's just like so readable. And then the last book is Come as You Are by Emily Nagoski. It's a sex book on sex, and it's awesome. And I just want like everyone who has a body to read it. It's a sex book on sex sex book on sex, which after I put pleasure activism out, so many people are like, oh, I want to know more about this. And I'm like, great. I'm actually not a sex therapist. (laughs) You should just have (laughs) more sex. But I'm like, oh, there's actually lots of sex books on sex. And this one is very, it's just very normalizing of all this stuff, right? It's like people who are like, I can't have orgasms or people are like, something's wrong with my beautiful pussy (laughs) or something's wrong with my, my libido or whatever it is. Right. And it's like, normalizes all of it. And then it's just like, here's how you construct a pleasurable life with the parts that you have and the rhythm you have and all of that. And it's it's very readable. It's very tangible. There's takeaways. There's even for people who are like, I don't read books. I uh, like too long, didn't read little section um, towards the end of it all. And so I like pulled all of that out so I could send it to friends because I'm like, I know y'all don't read books, <laughs> but you still <laughs> need <a> this <citizen. laughs> medicine. So um those are all the top culture things that are helping me survive right now. Beautiful.
0: I love, I yeah. love all of it.
1: Yeah. And maybe the biggest thing is having less time on social media. So get get off of social media, <laughs> spend less time there and more time doing real things with real people, reading books and stuff.
0: Yeah. I think, I think like living one's life is the, the most top, <laughs> top culture that <laughs> one can experience.
1: That's beautiful. Uh-
0: <laughs> uh- <laughs>
1: We want to thank you both so much. Can I just like swoon and say, Navina and Nana, we love you so much.
3: Like
2: such so a much. joy to get to spend an afternoon with both of you, with all three of you, really. <laughs> um, yeah. And thank you so much for inviting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just thank you so much for inviting me and Nana to do this. It's like uh, it-, it feeds a different part of my heart to get to do this together.
0: listening to our show we're on twitter and instagram at end of the world pc we're also on facebook at end of the world show but get off of social media and don't look at those things
1: <laughs> you can make a sustaining donation to our show if you're having such joy um and if you have the resources to do so in this moment by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show and actually navina and and nana if you want to send us links that people can Um, used to actually support what's happening you know support folks on the ground in india right now please do and we'll include them in the show notes Um, just everything we can do there to help out
0: another incredible thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on apple podcasts if you're an iphone person and just so you know that doesn't just sustain our show it sustains our spirits to read them
1: our hearts yeah we love it. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by number one baby daddy, Zach Rosen. <laughs> Music for today's show comes from Tunde Alani Ran
0: and Mother Cyborg.